The book of James has been a, a fabulous journey as we looked at what God expects of Christians. When are Christians at their best? And James concludes with talking about how we can use our tongue and our mouths in a positive way as we pray to God. And not only pray to God, but also confess our sins to one another, knowing that in Christ we are forgiven. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, September 30th, 2012. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, we're in the book of James. This is week four. We are now done with the book of James after today. So I've enjoyed it. In my 10 years of ministry, I have not had this much time in the book of James. And the reason we gave it this title, of course, is Martin Luther called it an epistle of straw. That does not mean he did not like the book at all. So here's also a quote from Martin Luther. In case you didn't know what he looked like. That's the best photo I could find of him. I praise it and consider it a good book because it sets up no doctrines of men but vigorously promulgates, promulgates the law of God. And of course, why do I use this quote? So we can use the word promulgate. That just means proclaim. I mean, the translators from the German, couldn't they just say that it proclaims the law of God? So this is one of the challenges with, uh, with the book of James. We're going to come to that in just a second. Next week, here's an advertisement. Next week, we start our brand new series, Practical Teachings of God. And um, I'm pretty excited about this. This is going to follow the book of Mark. So the book of Mark of all the Gospels, it, I just read it this morning. So I read, read through the book. You kind of need like a Red Bull before you read the book of Mark because of the pace of the, a lot of the other ones. Like Luke has this long things and there are shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Mark just gets to it. He's just like, bam. And then another story, another miracle. And it's like inside your Bible, it would be like a paragraph this big. And then he just moves on. Feeding the 5,000, it takes him like four sentences. He's like, yeah, and then there's some loaves left over next. So it's just like boom, boom, boom. So if you can read a book in a day, uh, Matthew's like 28 chapters. I think Luke is 24. Uh, Mark is 16. He's like, that's all I got. So he's done. So I'm pretty excited about it. We're going to be following Jesus' teachings in uh, the book of Mark. So we're going to cover like marriage, we're going to cover kids, we're going to cover government, we're going to cover money. So I'm pretty excited about that. And if you're excited about it, one more plug, I challenge you, as we did last week, take one of these and think of some people that you know that could, this would be a useful thing for them, and drop one of these cards off and say, hey, I, this is something that I enjoy, I find useful, and then you can uh, invite them. That's one of the ways that our church uh, reaches out to other people. So we're into the book of James. Uh, I'll move to another slide. Uh, we're in the book of James. What is the challenge of the book of James? We've said again and again and again. It just harps. That's even another Luther quote. It harps on the law all day long. So the rest of Scripture motivates you by talking about what Christ has done for you. The book of James is just law, law, law. I had a friend who trained um, dogs for duck hunting. So I asked him, like, how do you do this? Or what, what's the secret? I was hoping he had, like, the, the dog whisper secret. I don't know if it was, like, the horse whisper. You stand on the dog, and then you have trust or something like that. And he said, a lot of TLC. That's it. And you probably notice this. You see people now that they have a golden retriever or something like that. One dog seems to, like, it can't wait to do what it masters tells it to do. It's just hanging out, waiting to do something. And then there's the other dog where the guy's grabbing it by like the scruff of the neck and constantly yelling at the dog and things like that. As Christians, generally, and as people, I think we do better when people proclaim the good things. When people say what Christ has done and we're motivated by what he has done to say, you know, I cannot wait to figure out what I can do for the Lord. I think that works a little bit better than the threats of the law, wouldn't you say? 
Luther agrees, uh, most of the Bible agrees, James took another tact, and he said, I'm going to just beat you down with the law. So if you feel like you're rocking it as a Christian, you should probably read the book of James. It says you can't get angry. You're going great. Control your tongue. How'd that go? Last week, more than one person talked to me and said, because we were talking about controlling your tongue, they're like, that is so difficult. Isn't, how many chances do we have, we said last week? On the short end of it, you say 7,000 words a day, most people. That's like, and I guessed, seven words to a sentence. So that's like, uh, what can I think of it? A thousand chances. There we go. It's going to be a long morning. A thousand chances a day that you have to say either something positive or something that's going to ruin a relationship, something that's going to ruin your situation, something that's going to be hurtful, something that's going to be sinful. You have a thousand chances a day. That makes it pretty difficult. So control your tongue. Don't get angry. Don't show favorites. All of this, you just read that. Doesn't that just put a weight on you? How many of you have um, like those wall stickers, those Christian wall stickers with like a passage on your wall? You don't have to totally raise your hand. So some of you have them. Do any of it, it might look like, like this one. It's a little dark. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Isn't that motivating? This is from the book of Joshua. He's about to go into the land that the Lord has given him. And he says, you guys, got, today you get to choose. You pick. But I tell you what, I'm going to follow the Lord, me and my whole house. I think that's motivating. Uh, did you find any motivating statements like that in the book of James? Now, my artwork isn't exactly. Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Anyone have that in their living room? No, nobody? I don't know James, but if he lived today, I'm thinking, and he coached T-ball, I'm thinking not every kid gets a trophy. That's what I'm thinking. James is pretty intense, right? Or what about this one? You could maybe put this by the phone. Uh, the tongue also is a fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Maybe we should just make some of these and try and make a profit for something at church. How many things in the book of James are really motivating? Or you just feel like this weight, and you're like, I am the worst person of all time. I cannot, I'm not doing what the book of James says. I'm not doing it. There's no reason why uh, God should even shine down on me for what I do. And that's true. The people at James' time thought that all they had to do is believe and say, hey, my, my works, it doesn't really matter. James says, listen, God has one salvation for you, but he expects things of you. God, it, to be your best as a Christian, he expects things of you. So this is now at the end of the book, uh, the end of the book of James, and we're going to be looking at um, how he says to use your tongue in a positive way. So this is James chapter 5, uh, starting at verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. So James um, encourages us to what? Use your tongue in a positive way. So there's so many chances you have a day to mess up relationships. There's so many chances you have to screw things up. And James says, listen, you got problems going on in your life. Why don't you use your tongue to talk to God? Does that make some sense? Why don't you use your tongue to praise God if things are going well? These are, these are positive ways to use your tongue and to use your mouth. This is what he's encouraging us to do. So he continues, and um, in a practical thing. So God has given you an opportunity. Um, God has given you a chance to say, I want to hear from you. God is giving you a chance to say, I want to hear you speak to me. It'd be an example of um, some people feel like they're bothering God when you pray. Do you ever feel that way? Like you're kind of nagging? They say like a nagging person, I won't say what it says exactly in Proverbs, is like a drip. 
And you think, man, maybe I'm like that to God if I'm always pestering him with my prayers and things like that. That's not the case. In Scripture, God says you should pray unceasingly. God wants to hear from you. Think about how ridiculous it would be if one of my daughters or my son was failing math. And this, it's not too hard for me yet. So one of my daughters or my son is failing math, and they come to me and they, they go, well, nothing, Dad, I don't want to bother you. So they continue to go through the whole, some of you are smirking because you have kids who did fail math maybe or something, but you go through the whole semester, and they, I say, why don't you just talk to me? They're like, well, I don't want to bother you. How would that make me feel as a dad? Because I have a desire to see them do well, right? Or the other option is they think I just don't care. So I'm either not able, which would be insulting at five-year-old math, or B, I don't care. And do you think God sees it that way in some regard? You got these things that are bothering you, like I'm going to do all my best efforts and all our best efforts fail, but at the end we're saying, God, you know, I don't trust you with my stuff or I don't think you're able to do it. Think how ridiculous it is with me and my kids. It's just as ridiculous when you're trying to hold back your prayer. The way Scripture talks about it is God has blessings that he's literally like holding back and just waiting to release to you when you ask. Isn't that cool? Do I get it? I don't. Here's a practical example. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise him up. Um, a couple things. Should we talk about anointing first, or should we just talk about sick first? Uh, we'll get back to the anointing. So, uh, a couple weeks, at the end of October, there's a church. Have you ever heard of uh, Lutheran Women's Missionary Society? So, okay, so it's this big organization across the country. They raise money for missions, and they get together for rallies. There's a group in Texas that said, hey, will you come down and talk about starting a church? I said, hey, this sounds pretty cool, so I'm going to Camp Shiloh, a Lutheran retreat. At the end of October, it should be fun. Well, the, one of the host churches said, can you come talk to us? I said, sure. What do you want me to talk about? And so they're going through things, and I'm talking about what's going on. And he goes, well, what about your grow groups? How does that impact your church? I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. We have most of our people signed up for grow groups, and I think there's some cool things that happen. One is we all study God's Word together. That's cool. God says two or three come together. There I am with them. He's going to bless that study. Two, you get to hang out and get to know other people, right? This is a positive thing. Uh, three, you get to do service projects together. It's pretty hard for me to get up on a Sunday and say, collectively, this is the service project we're going to do because the same 10% of people is going to do it. So now, as a group, you can say, here's stuff we can do. The fourth thing that I think is a major thing is that you get to pray for each other. It, it, traditionally, the way our churches are set up, if someone has something going on, they say, hey, pastor, can you pray for me? And I'm happy to. I got notes, and I pray for our church. That's traditionally how it works. But there's stuff that comes on. I don't get to see all of you every week. I don't get to hang out with you and talk for an hour. You got a group of people that actually knows who you are, a group of people that actually wants to know what's going on in your life, a group of people like this that says, what's going on in your life? Let us pray over it. And what does God promise? A prayer offered in faith is going to, if it's his will, is going to do amazing things. So, we have prayer. It's working positively, and God says we're going to bless it. One quick aside on anointing with oil. Maybe I could do a show of hands. Who thinks this means there's miracle oil? We got one. All right. (laughs) For the sake of the one, we will explain it. So, 
Um, some people look at this and they think they had like some kind of magical oil or they would bless some oil and then it had miracle, uh, miraculous type principles. That doesn't seem to be the case. The word that they use here for anoint is the same word as like applying oil, like you'd oil a motor. So it's not like some special ceremonial placing of oil like they do on last rites. They put oil at certain spots when someone's dead. That doesn't really do anything. What this is saying is applying oil. So we've got two possibilities. Possibility one is folk medicine, which is maybe a bad way to put it. So I'll say um, back then their version of uh, holistic medicine. How about that? Their version of holistic medicine would be involved olive oil and oils and such things. They thought it had medicinal principles that would take and heal sores and things like that. So option one is James is saying, when you go about your usual medical stuff, don't forget to pray. This would make some sense since God runs the whole universe, right? The other option is, um, an example would be, we actually run into it in Mark, where Jesus is, uh, he spits on his hands, which is always, as a kid, grossed me out. And he spits on his hands, remember, and he sticks the fingers in the guy's ear who couldn't hear. Everyone remembers this story because you're like, that's gross. Because he also does it to his tongue, and you're like, Ugh. Um, But anyway, um, he rubs mud on their eyes. Why would Jesus do that? It seems, it seems to draw attention to the miracle that's going to happen. And that's the other possibility, is he's saying, when you pray, and you, something amazing is going to happen, just apply oil, and this is going to draw attention. My, my take would be option number one, that they're talking about medicinal qualities. Make some sense? Okay. So we're talking about prayer and the power of prayer. And how often does this come up? I think uh, too often or so often that we don't really think much of it. Think about this. There are 7 billion people on the planet. 7 billion. Of all these 7 billion people, God says, through faith in Christ, you can pray to me. God says, you actually get to talk to God. Think about how excited you were when you met someone you never thought you'd get to talk to. And then you get. So like as a kid, it's like when you meet your sports star. Like you go to the game and you're like, there he or there she is. Uh, you're really excited about it. Maybe when you're a teenager, it's when you meet someone at the school, a boy or a girl you never thought you'd get to talk to, and then you marry him. Right? You remember how excited you were? All right, this is super exciting. Or maybe now at our age, um, you're probably more excited about meeting someone who's really a big name in your field. Like if you met someone kind of famous in your field or they, they wrote the textbook that you went through in college or something, you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. Most of the time they're normal, right? This happened, I met some cyclocross racers on a bike ride, and there they are. They're pro cyclocross racers. They were nice. Uh, my wife, she likes a certain kind of book. Um, I can't think of her name. I just lost it. But we went to, to a book signing. There we are, talking to her, and she was normal. Has this happened to you? My friends, have you heard of the band Skid Row? Well, just in case you haven't, I brought a photo of Sebastian Bach. <laughs> I think this is a recent photo. I'm glad I don't know for sure. So Skid Row was a band like in the, I think, late 80s, 90s. They broke up, and then they were going to start, they're going to get back together and uh, have this tour. So my friends on the radio, if you knew the two guys, they're, they're almost like movie characters because they're pretty funny, and this is the kind of stuff that happens to them. They win tickets to go see their first concert back, the reunited tour of Skid Row and Sebastian Bach. He's like 6'3", they said, and I think 113 pounds. So they go to the concert, and they get backstage passes. And you'd think, like, um, like, if you met someone, like, really famous, they probably have handlers, you know, and they just give you one of these, and then they'd scurry you away. 
he said that he was like super nervous and he wasn't sure which song to, to start out with. And so they're giving him a pump-up speech about like, oh, and he's like, what about this one? And they're like, yes, that would be awesome. So they're giving Sebastian Bach, who was like nervous, a pump-up speech about his concert and he got all pumped up. Now, why do I bring this up? Because he's, he's just a normal guy with, with hair prettier than most girls that I know. <laughs> Think about this, though. All these things, you get kind of nervous and then you finally meet someone. You have the privilege to talk to God. He created the universe. He invented air. He made your body. He made the world. He made you. And God says, I want to listen to you. I want to hear from you all the time. My mom doesn't want to hear from me all the time. God says, I want to hear from you all the time. And what is going to happen when you pray? I can't explain it, but God says, like, as his majestic hands figuratively steer the world, he says, your hands are on the outside, and, so, and that has an impact on the health of your friends. It has the impact in your life. It has an impact in what happens to you tomorrow. God says, you get to do this. That is a positive way to use your tongue. God says, this is a blessing that's to you. One of the second things that he talks about in this situation, it says, talking about the person who is still sick, but it also applies to us. If he sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, he gives some advice. This is from James. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. James says, while you go there and you take care of physical needs, even as a group of people and grow groups and things like that, while you take care of physical needs, do not forget to talk about spiritual needs. Because just like a sickness can weigh down on your body, did you know that if you hold on to sin, it can do the same thing? David talks about this. He, um, and I'll speed through the story of David. So David had an affair with Bathsheba, and we, it's a strange thing. So he's got his castle. He looks down. She's taking a bath on top of her roof, which does not seem like a great place for a bath to me, I mean, personally. So she's taking a bath. He sees her. She comes over. They have this affair. He sleeps with her. She's pregnant, and he doesn't know what to do. So he goes, he, he's plots. Instead of just saying, God, I have made a mistake. Help me make this right. He starts to plot. And he goes, tell you what, I'm going to call Uriah back from army and so he can be with his wife. So he's got two things on his mind. One is homemade food and the other is fill in the blank. And he's thinking, this is going to take care of it, right? But Uriah is so loyal. Instead of spending time with his wife, he says, I can't do that. These other guys are out to battle. I'm going to sleep at the steps by the servants. There's no way I'm going to do that while these guys are fighting. David's like, great. And so instead of saying, realizing his error, he says, I'm going to plot again. He writes a message to Joab that says, when Uriah is fighting, let's make a hero of him, but a dead hero. So while he's fighting, let's just pull back and, and let, the, let him be taken care of. You know who delivers the message? Uriah. Just think about that. David, this man after the Lord's heart, writes this message that says, I want to kill you. Can you go give this to the commander? Uriah, being a good soldier, doesn't read it, of course. He takes it, delivers it, and not much later, he's dead. David talks about what that had done to his body. Not just this mental anguish of knowing and hiding this sin. Like, you can function like that, but he talks about it. This is Psalm 38. Because of our wrath, there is, your wrath, it should say, because there, your wrath, there is not health in my body, my bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because they are sin my sinful folly. 
I am bowed low and brought very low. It, it goes on and on. Have you ever been tangled up in a sin that you just don't want to tell people about? And you think, I'll just keep it secret. No one has to know. I'll just compartmentalize it. And I'll just go along with my Christian life and hang out with my friends. But in the inside, it's just like sucking life out of you. God says, as you worry about someone's physical health, think about someone's spiritual health. Think about your own spiritual health. Take these sins, confess them to the friends that you know. If you've got a, something that's bothering you, whether it's uh, an affair, you're in something serious, an affair, you're stealing money, you're hiding things from your wife, you're involved in pornography, whatever it is, find someone you trust and say, here is what I'm dealing with. I'm sorry for it. And what does God say? Just go back two slides. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. God promises you're going to be made whole. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. In order to have effective, powerful prayers, God says you have to be righteous. So take this confession seriously. I've told you before, we do confession with my kids on Sunday nights, and I know it sounds weird. Sunday nights they say, hey, what's going on? What things are bothering you? And they, everyone has something they talk about. Now the younger they are, usually it involves like the hour before. But as they get older, sometimes there's things that's been bothering for a week. And what can I say as a dad? What can I say as a pastor? What can I say as a Christian? You're forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. I don't confess everything to my wife. I got friends to do that too. But if I offend my wife, if I do something wrong to her, you better believe we're going to talk and say, I am sorry for what I've done. Will you forgive me? And she can say to me, I forgive you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because there's two ways to become righteous, isn't there? Jesus chose option one. Jesus chose option one. Like if you got dirty, you got a pair of jeans, there's two options to have them clean at the end of the day. Number one is you never get them dirty. That's what Jesus did. He goes his whole life, never sins, never gets angry, never misuses his tongue the whole time so that he can go to Calvary and pay the price for your sins. That's option one. Any takers on that? No. Option two, God describes, as I attempted to do with the kids, which doesn't work. God says, you can lay your sins before me and I'm going to take them away. And it's not some kind of idea like this. Like you kind of juggle it around, you put it there, and you're like, I hope my sins are forgiven. Like I was hoping that it would suddenly disappear as I read it would on the internet, and it didn't. That's not how it works. And the last day you're going to be like, yeah, God, do you remember that sin I talked about? Do you take care of that one? They're all taken care of. And so what does that mean to you as a believer? You're righteous, and you're perfect, and you get to talk to God. And what does God say about someone who's righteous? The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. If you take one thing away from the book of James, don't get beat up by the law. Recognize that we can't do it in Christ. But if you take one thing away, recognize that Christ has made you clean and given you this great privilege to use your tongue in a positive way. Amen.